We are going to be starting a new series today. We're going to be starting a new series. Um, we were going through the book of Acts. We're not going to abandon the book of Acts, but we've reached kind of a midway point of sorts. And so we're going to take a break from the book of Acts for a moment. And so we are going to be um, looking at one verse kind of as a, a thematic verse over the course of the next little few weeks. But the verse we will be, or the chapter we'll be in today, if you want to turn in your Bibles, is Psalm chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27 is where we'll be in a few moments. But before we get there, I want to explain kind of the heart of where we're at and where I want us to go uh, for the next five weeks. And, and some of that is what we've been talking about on Wednesdays, um, kind of similar in some ways to that, but also just through some conversations with people through my own prayer time and just through seeking the Lord. Uh, there's a, a word that keeps coming to my mind. There's a, a thing that keeps appearing before me in, in what we need to be focused on and seeking, and that is preparing ourselves for revival. And when I say that, I don't mean an event necessarily, but seeking a reviving from the Lord. And this is personally and as a church. And so uh, the verse that this, will, this series will largely center around in some ways, you've heard pre, it's been included in sermons recently, but Second so, Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And this is where I am hoping that we can go. This is where I'm hoping that we can focus is on this idea of revival, which really is seeking and returning to the Lord, seeking him in a fresh new way, asking him to move in us again, asking him to move among us again in a way that is noticeable and distinct and that gives him glory, but it is recognized by all the people. And so as we look at this, this verse, this Second Chronicles 7, 14, I would encourage you to memorize it, uh, write it down somewhere, think about it, pray through it. But we're gonna look at an aspect of it as we go throughout this, this five weeks. And today, the first place we're going, the first um, central part of this sermon is the first word, if. The big if is what we're looking at today. Uh, and so this whole verse, if you notice, is an if-then statement. And I remember in school, various places, you learn about it in math and, and kind of in science, and you also learn about it somewhat in English as well, this idea of cause and effect. Uh, so if this happens, then that will happen. Uh, and so we learn about these things. But if my people we see these things happen, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The then is revival. God hearing from heaven, forgiving sin and healing the land is what he promises to the people who do the things following the if. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's the if. If that happens, then I will hear and I will forgive and I will heal. That is revival. That is God moving among his people that are at some point, for some reason, not walking with him or not experiencing at a present time the goodness that they experienced before. This passage, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, is contained after the completion of the temple by Solomon. And he's, he's completed the temple and God is telling him these things that if the people disobey, if they turn from God, there will be punishment. He will 
cause punishment. He will cause difficulty to come among them. But if that happens, and if his people will do these things, he will hear, and he will forgive, and he will heal the land. And so when we look at this idea of revival, the thing we have to acknowledge is there is something awry. There is something that is not going the way you want it to go. In each of our lives, I think that we constantly are in need of revival, seeking after God, seeking a new movement of God, because what often can happen is we remember what has been done and we long for those days instead of looking forward to what God can do in the future. In many ways, everything that has happened in the past can sometimes get a rose-colored glass tint to them. Even the people as they wandered after they were freed from Egypt, they remembered it more fondly than it was. They longed to go back instead of looking forward to the promised land God was going to bring them into. So I don't know about you, but in my own life and I think in the life of our church, I think we are in need of revival. I want to see God move in and among us, in not just our church, not just in our individual lives, but in our nation, in our world. We need revival. We need the church of God to be filled with the Spirit, moving powerfully and actively among the world. Now, that does not mean that you are disobedient and cut off from God. That does not mean that you don't seek to follow God. That doesn't mean any of those things. But it simply means that we can look at our lives, we can look at the life of our church, we can look at the life of our nation, the state of the world, and say, there is something that is missing. There is something that is not happening as it ought to be happening. And we have to take responsibility. We'll get to all those sorts of things. But the responsibility is not on God. We looked at Job in Sunday school this morning. We can't blame God for the things we encounter. He is just, he is good, he is merciful. If we wanna see God move, and we don't feel like he's moving the way we want him to, the only place to look is at ourselves. It's the only place we can look. We can't point the finger at others. We can't point the finger at these people, those people. Well, if these people would just get their act together, we can only look at ourselves. And I believe revival happens when a collective group of believers will decide they're gonna look at themselves and address things honestly. And that is the big if in this passage. If his people will do this. If his people will seek him. Because none of the then that we want, I don't think there's a person in here that would not love to see salvations happen. That would love to see these church pews filled, people come to know the Lord, awakening, revival, breakout across our city and our nation. We won't see that unless his people will seek him. Now, this is to the people of Israel, but the the principle, I believe, is the same. If we are not seeking the Lord, if we're not seeking to follow him, we're not going to see him move in and through us. So this idea of an if-then, how many times have you said that, what if? Have you ever looked back at your life and thought, well, what if this had happened? What if I had chased my dream instead of going the safe route? What if I had done this instead of that? Have you ever thought about that? Well, what if I were to make this decision going forward? How would my life change? What if we finally started that diet, right? What if we did those things that we've thought about doing? What if, right? What if revival happened? The whole This whole sermon revolves around this idea of if. Are we going to seek the Lord? Am I gonna seek the Lord? Are you gonna seek the Lord the way the Bible wants us to, commands us to? Are we going to humble ourselves? It's 
dependent on the if. Sometimes I feel that we desire the then more than we are willing to do what the if will cost us. You know, when you think about the what ifs, there's a reason you didn't go that route. If you didn't chase your dream, the idea of the dream was perhaps too much of a risk to take for you. It wasn't worth giving up security and chasing the thing that you wanted. The if was not worth it. And so we will only experience the then if we value it more than what the if will cost us. When someone goes to the doctor and they get told, if you don't change this particular habit, if you don't make this change in your life, you won't live five more years. That can be the then that makes the if worth it. When the person that smoked their entire life gets told if you continue smoking, then something bad will happen. Sometimes then, the then will be worth it to do what it takes to have a different result. And so if we desire the Lord to move, if we desire to see him move among us, if that is what we truly want, it has to be worth it to us to do the if. So what does this look like? Psalm 27 is where we're turning, and David is one that we know from Scripture is called a man after God's own heart. He's a person that seeks the Lord, and, and here's the deal, not a perfect man by any means, but he seeks the Lord. His desire is the Lord. And so we can learn about what our life ought to look like. What does it look like if that were to happen? I think David in Psalm 27 is a good what if. What if we were to do this? What would it look like in our life? And so we're gonna look at Psalm 27, starting in verse one and going through the end of it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fail. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. From the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me in his tabernacle. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses have rise up against me, breathing out violence. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong 
and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can come together. And Father, I pray that right now in our hearts you would begin working on this idea of if we will do what you're calling us to do. If we will be the people to do what you call us to do. God, I pray that you would just work among us, that you would work in our hearts, you would challenge us, you would convict us, you would show us everything that you desire us to do and that we would be faithful and obedient to you. That you would help us to see what it means to do these things. To act in accordance to your word. And I pray that you would convict us and enable us to do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first thing we see as we look at this idea of seeking the Lord, right? This whole idea of if my people who are called by my name will seek my face, will, will turn from their wicked ways. I'm going to read it again because I don't want to just paraphrase it. Who are called by my name will humble, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The gist of what we're supposed to do, and we're going to get to it in future sermons, the, gif, the gist of the if is that if my people are gonna go after me instead of other things. That's the gist of it. And there's, there's some specifics to it, and we'll look at that in future weeks. But the important thing we see from this passage is this idea that if the Lord is your light and salvation. In that passage, it says, if my people who are called by my name, if the Lord is your light and salvation. This is what David says in the very first verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The first part of any of this, of seeing revival, is, is making sure that the Lord is your light and your salvation. People place their trust in all sorts of things. Probably one of the most common things in this world is that they place their trust in themselves. In their ability to earn and to provide and to care for themselves you know, the, the idea of looking out for me, myself, and I. People trust in all sorts of things. Maybe it's in their significant others, maybe it's their family, whatever system that's built in this world that they trust in, people place their trust in all sorts of things. But for David, in Psalm chapter 27, he places his trust fully and firmly in the Lord. Why? The Lord is his light and his salvation. The same thing we have to make sure of today. Is the Lord your light and your salvation so that you do not fear, so that when enemies advance, you are not afraid because the Lord is your salvation. The Lord is your stronghold. So what does this mean for us? For David, he's seeking the Lord. He's seeking to follow the law, seeking to be a, a good, faithful Jew in this time, seeking the Lord, knowing what is coming, anticipating and still looking at the Lord as his savior. But we have seen the hope of David revealed in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who died for our sins so that we could be made right with God. Our hope and our light of salvation is very clearly and explicitly laid out. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved than Jesus Christ. We are lost and dead in our sin in darkness. See these words throughout all scripture. People who live in sin are dead and live in darkness 
but those who are saved by the grace and the love of God through the work of Jesus Christ are alive, walking in the light, that God is our light and our salvation, that lit up our darkness and made us alive with Jesus Christ. And so the same hope we have today is a similar but less understood hope that David had, that God is our salvation, God is our light, he's the one that purifies us, forgives us, and helps make us righteous, even though we're not. David knows that he's a sinner, and he knows that his forgiveness is found only in the Lord. And we know the same thing, but it's found only in the Lord through the work of Jesus Christ. So we must believe the gospel to be his people. We see the difficulty of this. We see it happening right now. The the Jewish people, God's chosen people, are still at war with the people of that area. And if you are a little unaware of some of this, um, the, the term for the other nation, Palestine, if you look at the original language, that word comes from the word that we usually see translated as Philistines. The original language is more like Palestia, Palestines. And so it's Palestine was named the, the nation, one of the, the conquering governments named it Palestine to spite the Jews. And so this is not a new conflict. It did not start at the end of World War II. It did not start a couple hundred years before that. It has been going on from biblical times. But one problem that the Jews have is that they have rejected the salvation that was revealed, the salvation of God, that was made manifest and apparent in Jesus Christ. And so though they are his people, they have rejected him because they have rejected the work of the Lord. And their call is the same call as it is to the Gentiles. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Their hope can only be found in Jesus Christ, not their ability, not their uh, devoutness to the law, only in the work of Jesus Christ. So if we want to be, if we are gonna be a people called by his name, we must make sure that we have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, by repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus And we can be a people called by his name. He calls us sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters of God. And this should also lead to a profound confidence. I want you to see the things that David says here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? Because of those things, I'm not gonna fear. I'm not gonna be afraid because the Lord is my salvation. There is a confidence and a a recognition that when God is our salvation, when he is on our side, when we are on his side, he is on our side. We are able to face difficulty with confidence. When the wicked advance, as David says, they will stumble and fall. Though an enemy besiege me, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. One of the things we should see in this world is that no matter what we see happen on the news, no matter what we see happen and we hear about wars and rumors of wars, our confidence is in the Lord. Not in political powers, not in our nation, not in another nation, but in the Lord. And so when we see these things and we hear these things, the one thing we should know, the only side we must seek to be on is the Lord's. And we will know and be confident that the Lord 
is on our side. So the first if is, if the Lord is your light and your salvation, if that question cannot be answered by you, that he is, he is my light and my salvation, that's the first thing you have to deal with. But the question after that that you have to ask is, if the Lord is the one you seek, if the Lord is the one you seek, as we look at this, David in in verse four makes a, a statement. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. See, David gets it here, and this is where I think a lot of times we can miss it. David is not seeking the blessing of the Lord, first and foremost. He wants that. He wants the Lord's blessing. He wants to see the blessing of God in the days of the living, in the land of the living. But above all that, he wants the Lord. As our verse that we see in Second Chronicles says, he is seeking God's face. Later it says, my heart says, seek his face. The first eight, your face, Lord, I will seek. So the, the next question, if you have been saved, is the Lord the one you seek? Every person in this life is looking for answers. They are looking for answers to why they exist, what purpose they have, what are they supposed to do with their life, how can they find meaning, and they find it in all sorts of things. Some things noble to some extent, looking to do good for others. Some things dishonorable. Some people make their life's pursuit to do harm and to cause destruction. I want you to honestly look at your your life and consider what is the one thing that you seek. If you were to honestly open your heart up to God and say, this one thing I ask of the Lord, can you genuinely say, as David does, it is the Lord. That's what I seek. I ask that the Lord would give me himself. I know at some point in your life, if you, well, I know growing up, Aladdin was a very popular movie when I was younger, and everybody at some point begins to ask that question. If you had three wishes, what would you wish for, right? And usually it's some sort of, Uh, A lot of money or or good things, no more war, and then three more wishes, right? David just talks about one thing. I just want one thing. I want the Lord. For many people, and many times in our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, the thing we are seeking is not the Lord. We're chasing after our own desires. We're chasing after other things, things of this world. In fact, without doubt, that is what we chase after before Christ, but even after Christ, There is difficulty. David in his life at times chased his desires over the Lord and he found himself in sinful situations. To seek the Lord, you must have first experienced salvation. That's why that part comes first. We cannot expect to see the Lord's revival if we're not actually seeking him. We can't expect to see the Lord's revival if he's not first made us alive in Christ. In fact, we can't even expect that we will begin to see the process that leads to it if we're not seeking God. If God is not our objective, if something else is our objective, and I wanna make this clear, if, if our objective is something that is a result of seeking God, like God's blessing, if our objective is the blessing, we are not doing what God is calling us to do. If my people who are called by my name will turn from their, will, will pray and seek my face, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, It doesn't say if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my blessing. We're not gonna see this happen. If our goal is that 
we will fill this, this church up for our glory, that we will see these church pews filled for our glory, that, that our name will become popular, that we will be able to have people look at us and say, what a good Christian, what a good follower of God. That is not humility. That is not seeking God. That is seeking his blessing. And that is seeking human recognition. So even at times when we're pursuing things that should happen and we want to happen, we have to make really sure that we're seeking God and not the things God can do. Do you seek his face? Are you seeking the face of the Lord? Are you desiring the Lord? So why should we seek his face? Why does it matter? When have we seen this? I want you to think of Exodus chapter 20, verses one through three. This is where the 10 commandments are spoken. The, the people have been led out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt. They're wandering. Moses is on Sinai, Mount Sinai with God, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So we see three things here. We should, we should seek his face because of who he is. He says, I am the Lord your God. That's enough right there. I am the Lord your God. He is the creator. He is the one who made us. He is the one who loves us. Because of the nature of who he is, that should be enough reason for us to seek his face. But he goes on. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Not only who he is, but what he has done. He is our savior. He is Israel's savior and he has made us alive in Jesus Christ. And so because of what he's done, we should seek his face. We should worship him and seek his face. But he also commands it. You shall have no other gods before me. And that word before doesn't mean typically the way we think of before, like ranking. You know, don't have another one. Okay, you can serve uh, Baal, you can serve these other things, but just make sure I'm number one on the list. No, in my presence, before me, in front of me. Don't have any other gods in front of me, before me. Don't seek them, seek me alone. So what does it look like to seek his face, to love God? All the law and the prophets, the greatest commandment, Jesus says, as he answers that question, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what does this look like? We should love what the Lord loves. We should hate what the, the, what the Lord hates, forsaking all other things in comparison of our pursuit of God. God for himself uses this metaphor with the people of Israel and Jesus with the church of marriage. Israel is often referred to as a unfaithful wife. He ha they have abandoned the Lord. They have been unfaithful to the Lord because they should have forsaken all others, as we often hear in marriage vows, forsaking all others, clinging only to the one they have married. Forsaking all other gods, forsaking all other pursuits, pursuing only God. That's what it means to love God. Love what he loves, hate what he hates, forsaking all other things, seeking his face. It means this one thing I seek, you. I want the Lord. I wanna dwell in your house forever. I wanna seek your face. I wanna be a man after God's own heart as David was. It also means to follow him. David makes it clear all the way through this. 
Show me your paths. Teach me how to go. Teach me what to do. To follow him, to hear him, to obey him, to do his will. So if the Lord is the one you seek, and I think this last part that we kind of see in this in, in Psalm 27 is, is one of the most difficult. If you wait for the Lord. You see, David experienced a lot of difficulty, a lot of calamity, a lot of problems in his life. People were coming after him, as he says, false accusations. People painting him out to be a person against God and against his kingdom when he's really the one following God and Saul is the one that is disobeying God. In his present struggle, he seeks the Lord. And that's where we have to often uh, differentiate are our difficulties we face because of our sin or because of our faithfulness to God. Those are very different things. If a person who, who claims to be a believer, a person who's a believer, finds themselves in trouble with the law, thrown into prison because they've broken the law, been, have done sinful things, and then they cry out, why has God done this to me? That is a shameful thing to do because they are there because of their own actions. But if like Saul, I mean, if like Paul, the apostle Paul, or if like David, we find ourselves following God, seeking him, and facing difficulty, his command to us is to wait for the Lord. To wait for the Lord. So one of the things we have to realize is that we should not run ahead of God. We should not seek to do the things that we are supposedly trusting God to do. This can be difficult. If we want God to send revival, we can't manufacture it. We can't do things to force God to move in the way we want him to move. We are seeking him and waiting on him. And he has to show up. And that's hard. But we have to be unwilling to settle for anything less than the genuine movement of God. We, we, we can't settle for anything less than the genuine movement of the Lord, so we will wait on the Lord. And that's what it means to seek his face, is that that's, that's good, but that's not his face. That's a thing that I can see the allure of, but it's not his face, so I will wait on the Lord. The blessing of the Lord depends on his action and not ours. We act in obedience, but God is the one doing the moving and our motion should be in congruence with God's leading, in obedience to what he's calling us to do, not out ahead of him seeking to do the work we're asking him to do. It makes no sense to humble ourselves and seek his face and to try to do the things ourselves outside of his will. But we have to be sure that when we hear what he's calling us to do, when we know the will of the Lord, we do move and we do act obediently but we wait on the Lord. And so as we look at this, as we deal with this, the question that I hope that, and I wanna challenge us to think about is that this won't be an if for us, but an I will. Not if, but I will. In verse eight, 
It says, my heart says of you, seek his face. And David says, your face, Lord, I will seek. I will seek. And in that passage where that, in 2 Chronicles, it says, if you will follow me like your father David did. Because for David, this wasn't an option. This was what he was doing. I will seek his face. And if you can agree with me that you in your own life and in the life of this church and in this world, you want to see revival, I think it's fairly clear what we have to do. Because if we will seek his face, humbly, repenting of sin, he will move. Not how we expect, not always in our timing, but we wait on him. And so my challenge is that it will not be an if, but an I will. This has to be our commitment before we move into any area of the rest of the passage. It doesn't matter if we know what it means to humble ourselves if we're not willing to do it. It doesn't matter if we know what we need to repent of if we're not willing to do it. It doesn't matter if we know how to seek God's face today if we're not willing to do it. The two prerequisites God gives to this, his blessing are his people called by his name, so being saved in doing the if. We must have faith and our faith must move us to action. And it should start today. In Joshua 24, the people of Israel have come in, into the promised land. Now, not Moses, not Aaron, not those people that left Egypt. They didn't wait on the Lord. They took things in their own hands they didn't enter the promised land. But Joshua brings them into the promised land and in, and in Joshua 23, he has become a very old man. And he addresses the, the leaders and he says to them in verse 14, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. And as we look at our lives today, as you look at your life, as you look at what scripture says, there's not a thing that God has promised he's failed to do. From the Old Testament, he promised a savior. He promised to, to, to make a blessing for all nations through Abraham. He's fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ. And there is a way of salvation for all who would believe. And we have a great hope, a great promise that we, we await in eternity, that we're confident of, that faith we have. There's not a promise that the Lord has failed. So Joshua's about to die. After addressing the leaders, he brings the whole nation together before God, and he reminds all the people of all that God has done, starting from Terah, Abraham's father, to the present day of how God has moved among them and has worked among them. And you know this passage. And he challenges the people in Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away your, the gods your ancestors worshiped before, beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord does not seem desirable, if it is undesirable to you, then choose for yourself, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There's no if in Joshua's statement. 
But he proposes a challenge. If you will not, do what you will. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And beyond this passage, the people agree that they want to serve the Lord. And Joshua warns them they will face difficulty. They're not going to be able to do it. And that God will have wrath against those who break his covenant. Three times the people choose to follow the Lord. And they set up a stone in in memory and in testimony against them that they have chosen to follow the Lord. But we know what happens, don't we? They don't. They fail. Then a generation arose that did not know the Lord. But God is still good. His love is steadfast and pursues them in the face of their disobedience. They are punished, but God still forgives and restores. He he revives them. He revives them because if his people disobey him, but they seek him humbly, if if they'll do that, he will hear from heaven, he will forgive, and he will revive. God's love persists. And today, our hope is not in our ability to keep God's commandments because it's very clear if that's what it's on, we will fail. But because of his love for us, God made a way of salvation, not dependent on our righteousness, but on his and his love for us, made clear and made manifest in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that he made for us. And so we should remember what the Lord has done. And today we must decide, you must decide, are you gonna follow him? Are you gonna seek his face? Are you gonna remember the promises he's made, the ways that he's been good to you and blessed you, the life that he's given you in Jesus Christ? Or are you gonna follow your own desires? Are you gonna follow the ways of the world? Each person here has to answer that question for themselves. As for me and my house, I'm committing that we will follow the Lord. Today, what will you do? Will you follow him? Will you seek his face? Will you make it not be an if, but an I will seek your face in pursuit of him and not his blessings? That is what it takes to begin to see revival. But if you're here today and you've been dependent throughout your life on your own righteousness, if you've been like the people that Joshua spoke to, we will, I'm gonna follow the Lord. You failed. You are a sinner separated from God because of your own inability to keep his commandments. But the good news is that despite our sin, Jesus made a way of salvation. God made a way of salvation in Jesus Christ. Before you can seek the face of the Lord, you must seek him in salvation. Do you know him this morning? Is he your light and your salvation? Can you say that with confidence? If you have any doubt, I'd love to speak to you this morning. But if he is your light and salvation, will you follow him? Will you seek his face? Today is the day we must choose. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this day you've given us this time that we can come into your presence, that we can look at what you've done. We can look at the heart of your servant, David, who sought your your heart. He was a man after your own heart and 
He sought your face. And Lord, I pray that we can be people who will seek your face, who will determine that you are the one that we desire. Above any person, above anything in this world, above any accomplishment or recognition, you are what we desire. The one thing we ask, what I pray would be you. And God, I pray that because of that, we can begin to be people who will humble ourselves, pray and seek your face, turning from our sin, repenting and following you. And God, I pray that you will hear us, that you will hear from heaven, that you will forgive and you will restore and you will revive for your glory, for your namesake, for the, for the expansion of your kingdom, for the salvation of the lost to your glory. God, I pray that you would move among us and that we would seek you. And Father, I pray that if anyone does not know you this morning, that they do not have a relationship with you, that you would make that abundantly clear and that today would be the day they put their faith in you and you alone and what you did for us in Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would move among us today in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning? We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.